This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning into another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of big news in the fantasy hockey world. The biggest news, of course, the streak is over. Did that happen like last week, though? I feel like I might be out of date on that. You know about Columbus Blue Jackets winning streak? Yeah. What? That's what you're starting the show with? Old news? I blanked. I, You know, I had something in mind earlier today, uh. and I lost it. It's gone, so. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we just start the whole show over, Brian? Brutal. Just kidding. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We have a big show today. We're not going to be talking about stuff from two weeks ago. We're going to be talking about everything from last week. We'll talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets because things haven't been so great for them ever since that streak has ended. A lot of their fantasy superstars have really slowed down. But before we get to that, and before we get to our first fantasy hockey headline of the week, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It is a, such a fantastic fantasy hockey website. It's basically the only place you need to go because you can find all these articles about everything going on, daily ramblings about every day of fantasy action. You've got your line combinations, starting goalies, player profiles, all the prospects, everything you need. It's all there, dauberhockey.com. And they have a guide, right, Brian? Yeah, the mid-season guide, it's 11th edition or so, is out now. All the stuff that you love about the preseason guide, except now we know a little bit about how these coaches are running these teams, what lines are looking like, what's happened so far, and taking all of that to work with what might happen next. At the start of the season, you're guessing with players and new teams, new situations, a lot of things that you're like, I I just want to see how this is going to play out for the first few weeks. Now we have that information and we can try and use that to figure out what happens in the second half. That's what the Dauber midseason guide is all about. If you are serious about winning your playoffs, it is a very handy tool to have. Yeah, and also, you know, as your trade deadline comes up for your league, it's probably useful to get a sense of what the projections are for the players that are going to be involved in your trade. And, you know, the Dauber guide, is they've got all these experts chiming in and, and helping them come up with these projections. So useful to always have a second opinion. You can obviously also tweet at us, at Keith and Carlson. We'll try to give you some help, or you could become a patron and ask in our Facebook group. But okay, let's get started, Brian. First fancy hockey headline of the week. It's not going to be injuries. I'm tired of talking about injuries. We'll probably get to some as we go. But let's start with outjuries. Some big names returned last week, including Alex Galchenyuk. 
and to a lesser extent, Andrew Shaw. They both returned for the Habs yesterday in a 5-4 defeat of the New York Rangers. So great news for Galchenyuk owners. Obviously great news for the Habs in general. He's been having such a magical season, right? He had a goal yesterday in his return. Not too bad. Only on one shot on goal. Basically one shot, one goal. If you could do that every game, that would be great. Probably that is not sustainable. But I'm not too worried about him because he has 10 goals and 14 assists for 24 points in 26 games on the season. Almost a point per game pace for Alex Galchenyuk. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, by the way, Brian, in yesterday's game, while Galchenyuk scored a goal, Andrew Shaw picked up 22 penalty minutes and was ejected. So a very different return for both of them. But let's focus on Galchenyuk. He was back playing yesterday with Patchy Reddy and Radulov and was with those guys and Phil Dano on the top power play. So exactly where we would want him to be. I'd love to know, what do you think? How do you see things going forward for him? Is he now like a point-per-game guy? Can we expect a point-per-game pace or at least maybe a 70-point pace, which would be fantastic? Or do you think he's more of a 60-point pace guy and we shouldn't expect him to be doing as well as he was doing so far? I'm going to go more with the latter, and I think you can expect a cool down from Galchenyuk's point-per-game pace for sure. He's still shooting 22%, and I imagine if he'd been playing over the last few weeks, he would have already gone back to a pace that looks more like a sustainable 60 points or so, as other Canadians have in his absence. Uh, That's where I've got him now. The startling thing about his numbers this year And it's funny to say that there's something startling because it's been such a successful year and it seems like a continuation of last year. But this year, he's actually taken a step back in terms of how many shot attempts and shots on goal that he is personally generating. The on-ice numbers are still relatively similar. So the people around him are still doing about as much or the, the team effort while he's on the ice is about the same. But he is playing less of a part in getting pucks directly to the net he's not the one taking those shot attempts last year was really exciting that way and I think that's what contributed to him putting up a point per game over his final 19 games he had that going for him he was increasing the number of shot attempts and shots on goal that he was getting for 60 minutes he also had a similar shooting percentage in that 19 points in 19 games and he has now so I also didn't think that was sustainable Uh, but now he's got that high shooting percentage and he's down from three shots on goal per game to two shots on goal per game. Uh, He does make a huge difference for his team. Like he is a really positive offensive influence. There's a ton more shots from all over the ice when he's on it than when he's off it, especially actually in the slot in the right circle. That's where he really helps more shots come from while he is on the ice, but fewer shooting and goal scoring opportunities for him personally. So if I wanted to be generous, I might give him 65 points. I think odds are against him getting to 70 this year, unless the percentages smile on him all the way through to the end of the season. And I guess, Elon, I should clarify, 70-point pace, because 70 would be really difficult with all the time he's missed. If you're wondering, like, why are these shots on goal such a big deal for me? Just for comparison's sake, if you look at centers with similar shots on goal per game rates who have put up a 70-point pace in the last few years, you're looking at Nicholas Backstrom, who did it twice, Joe Thornton, who did it twice, Henrik Sedin, and then David Krejci, who was on pace to do it, but didn't play the full season, so never actually got to 70 points. But it looked like he was going to get there. The, the point is that those are all 70-plus point guys. We don't know them as more than 20 goal guys, and that's the illusion Galchenyuk has created so far with 10 goals in his first 24 games played, again, helped by that high shooting percentage. So 60 points is a very safe bet. I think he's Gonna have no problem getting there. 65 would be the optimist's choice, and 70, I think, seems out of reach. 
Okay, I think that's fair. And don't forget, you're not really disparaging him too much. Like That would be a fantastic end to the season. Being a point-per-game player or even a 70-point player is very difficult. Not many players in the league do it. Galchenyuk's clearly an elite guy. And yeah, we have to talk about these paces because you know the season's already partway done. And when we're saying like a 70-point pace, basically we're saying take the remaining number of games he's going to play, divide by the number of or points, divided by games, times 82. You know That's the pace we're saying, by the way. And yeah, I think that's fair. Like a 70-point pace would be pretty amazing for Galchenyuk going forward. But obviously, if he's available in your league, you know you have to add him and he's probably not but if you, you know he's in your ir you have to activate him is there any other have brian right now aside from the forwards i'm talking about habs forwards we've got patchy ready radulov and galchenyuk all amazing all by the way part of the reason why galchenyuk's able to get so many points on this amazing line is there any other hab forward still worth owning at this point like paul byron and phil dano both had multi-point games yesterday we were into placanets recently you know when all the centers went down we thought placanets would have some value arturi lekkonen actually has four points in his last four and sven andrew get i mean you probably won't say those guys but if any of these guys i've mentioned is there any other hab forward does everyone pretty much lose all their value now that Galchenyuk is back and taking that extra spot on the top power play? I did say that Phil Dano was still on the top power play, so I don't know if he has some value, especially since he's on such a hot streak. I think he had three assists yesterday. Anyways, any other names for you? Well, you do also keep calling Phil Dano Phil. I didn't know you guys were so tight. I only know him <laughs> as Philip, but I guess you get to call him that from all the times you spent together. If I had to choose one of those guys, I, on one hand, you know, you could say their value drops because, well, uh, there's no chance they're going to play on the first unit or the first line. And so their value is diminished that way because they're not going to have as good opportunities. On the other hand, the lineup is a little deeper and maybe there's some other line configurations that can happen. If I had to choose one, uh, like I agree, though, by the way, like they are both less interesting to me now that Galchenyuk's back. And if I had to choose one, I'd probably go Dano. They've been similar in a lot of ways in how they've been producing points. Uh, But Dano gets the edge. I've liked a little bit more of what I've seen from him. He also had better line mates. So if there is an offensive opportunity, then he seems to be the one who gets first dibs on it, at least from what we've seen. And it also, of course, does not hurt that he puts the puck on net more than Byron's rate of just one time per game. So Dano's better than that, to be clear. Okay, so basically, if you can have a streaming spot on your lineup, maybe Phil Dano still has some value. Philip Dano, sorry, Brian, if I was being too casual for you calling him Phil. But yeah, and then Plekanitz, I guess you're just saying forget about him at this point. Like He, he was having such a horrible season. Obviously, he had some value playing with Radulov and Patrick Reddy. Who wouldn't? But he wasn't even there by the time that Galchenyuk came back. So it'll be fun to watch, Brian, since we're on the halves. We have to do this. We have to ask this crazy question. I never thought I'd have to ask, especially this season. Brian, does Carey Price suck? What is happening with Carey Price? Four goals against yesterday. Seven goals against on Thursday. Four goals against on Monday. When's the last time he's let in two or less goals? So long ago. An 882 save percentage over the last month. That's 11 games played. And he has an 882 save percentage over that span. What is happening is it just the obvious answer you're gonna say he's an elite goalie this is a random blip and you should be doing everything you can right now to buy low from the scared price owner or is there like anything underlying going on is there a reason for price owners to actually be concerned or or should they just be like man bad luck last week last couple weeks he's kind of screwed me but i have no concerns that he'll do better because he's carry freaking price a couple bad starts and you're like okay i'm a carry price owner i have to learn to live with that i get so much good stuff out of him a few more bad starts. It's a little concerning. Uh, maybe the team in front of them, I, you know, Galchenyuk's been out. Maybe they're getting tired and Markov was out for a while. But now we're not like quite at trend level, uh, but just seven quality starts in his last 15 games. Normally we'd expect 
10 quality starts in that span. So I guess it's not that bad when you consider it that way, but just a 47% quality start rate, which is pretty bad. Uh, usually he's been a 55 to 60% quality start guy, which is a lot better, of course. Incredibly, the Habs have only lost three games in regulation over this stretch. So they're giving Carey Price some leeway for his poor play. Nice of them to return the favor for all the times that he has saved their bacon. I still don't know. Like, even though I tried to make a big deal that's been happening for a long time, that was just scare tactics. I don't know that there's any bigger message to be gleaned from his play. Uh, Certainly nothing that could be extrapolated just from this last little while. He's in a rough patch. He's been in rougher patches or as rough patches before, but we're not used to it. Like, it's only happened. He's only seen these sorts of depths. Like, I was looking at his rolling save percentage for 10 games or 20 games and he's only been down this low at any point in his career like four or five times so we're definitely in strange territory with Carey Price but he has always worked his way out of it and I don't think this is the start of some terrible downfall of the best goalie in the league. Yeah, I mean, resilience is obviously a key characteristic, I think, of an elite goalie. So he should be able to bounce back even when he's on a cold streak. He shouldn't, like, let this take him down completely. So, Brian, do you agree with me then that if you don't own Carey Price and you're, you know, heading into your fantasy hockey playoffs, now's the time to, like, go and try to make a low ball offer and get him from a scared price owner or maybe even a keeper league? This might be, like, your only opportunity to get him for cheaper than what you'd normally have to pay? I don't know what price owner would have any interest in giving him up, even with this rough patch. It's like, you know, someone owns Ovechkin. If you want, you can go for it. Elon, actually, we had an interesting proposal in our patron group that I'm going to throw at you if I can remember it. I think I can. It was someone had Talbot and Voracek that they were trading for Price and TJ Oshie. And I actually leaned towards not doing it. Like, I felt like Talbot in a one-week matchup could be close enough to Price that you'd actually prefer Voracek over Oshie in the longer run. What do you think? Um, that is interesting. Like, was it a one-year league or a keeper league? Because I think that has a part of it. Though, actually, Talbot... Let's say one year. Okay, and actually, I would say that Talbot actually has a lot of good keeper league potential just because that Oilers team, we hope... You know, they're so bad, by the way, when McDavid's not on the ice, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But okay, uh, TJ Oshie has... 25 points in 35 games this year. Like, he's no slouch himself. He's actually on a bit of a run. He had a goal and assist against Chicago and three assists against Pittsburgh. I guess nothing today against Philadelphia. But he didn't need to because Philadelphia is horrible. They had some other people score instead. All that to say, I think I would take the, yeah, Talbot and Voracek. Sure, like, Carey Price is really amazing. But obviously, we've seen that he's not invincible. And Talbot has been, you know, really good this year. And Jacob Voracek is out of this world better than TJ Oshie. So, sure, I guess I'm with you. Yeah, and... If you want to get younger, I mean, you could go for Price. He's one whole month younger than Cam Talbot. It's amazing, Elon. There's a lot of goalies who you don't feel are young, but these guys are both going to turn 30 this summer. So, like, in a few years, we're really going to be looking at younger goalies like Vasilevsky and Hellebuck and all the guys who aren't coming through this year, except for Matt Murray. We'll get to goalies later. Yeah, okay, we'll do some goalie talk later. Let's get to our next outjury, second fantasy hockey headline of the week. Wait, do I do it that way? No, it's just the second outjury. <laughs> Anyways, let's go to the Rangers. Another pair came back, Rick Nash and Pavel Buchnevich, both returned for the Rangers on Friday after the Rangers had that long bye week, so maybe they were even healthy before. But anyways, yesterday they actually played on the same line together in the 5-4 loss to Montreal, along with Kevin Hayes, a goal and five shots on goal in the two games for Nash, two assists and three shots on goal for Buchnevich. So both of them seem to be fitting right back in to that Rangers lineup. Overall, Nash has 14 goals and 21 points 
in 32 games on the season. It's a 53-point pace and a 36-goal pace, so not too shabby, not elite numbers, especially in terms of the points, but do you expect basically the same moving forward for Rick Nash? Like, Is he now basically a 55-point guy that will get you around 35 goals, or can we expect him to break that 60-point mark or at least that 60-point pace mark for the rest of the season? 35 goals would still be really impressive from Rick Nash. You were right with the first comment. He's still a 55-point guy, I think, is what you want to expect. That's his upside. And he also could get you a few more goals and shots than several other 55-point players, but not nearly as many goals and shots as he once could have. He's averaging less than three shots per game for the first time in his career since his rookie season. And would you believe, Elon, that was like 14 years ago? He started in the league in 2003. It still makes him the most prolific shooter on the team. Only Mika Zibanejad is above him on a per-game basis with exactly three shots per game. Rick Nash has like 2.9. So while I am sort of (laughs) cherry-picking that number, it's still, he hasn't passed below that three-goal threshold his entire career from rookie season until now. Uh, Rick Nash also leads the team in shots per 60 minutes, so doing well in rate stats too. So, you know, maybe you can expect three shots per game or just about, and if he can hold up his average shooting percentage from the last five years, that would net him just less than 13 goals over the rest of the year, which means that he's still less than a 30-goal scorer. That's his upside, is I guess you could hope for, if you're looking at a full season, 25 goals, 30 assists from him. If you hadn't readjusted your expectations of him in the last couple of years and you were still hoping that he was this 30 goal, 30 assist guy or 30 plus goal guy, uh, this is your reality check. This is your moment to realize who he is now. Okay, so he's good. Not great anymore. Brian, I traded Victor Rask for him in the cupful. Did I blow it or, or did I do okay? I think you did okay. I feel like Rask... You know, I don't know. It could be pretty even. I would say Nash has more upside. Like, Rask is definitely not going to get up above 55 points. Nash, I think, has a better chance of getting there still and maybe better shot rates. I have to look and see how Rask is doing. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Anyway, I don't know why I threw that at you. That wasn't in our our plan, Doc. Let's talk about Buchnevich. He's been a huge surprise, right? He's only played 12 games played this season, but he has four goals and six assists in those 12 games, or 10 points in 12 games. Of course, a lot of that came during that time when everyone on the Rangers was scoring all of the time. Uh, but now, you know, he's been back for two games, like I said, an assist in each of those games. I'm curious, do you think he could stick in the top six or stick on a good line? Like, keep in mind, Mika Zibanejad could be returning any game now, though, though I would think he would be bumping Kevin Hayes if anyone from that line. Like like I said, it's been Kevin Hayes with Nash and Buchnevich, at least in the last game. So I'd be curious to know what you think of Buchnevich and also how you see the lines shaking out. You know, do you think that Nash and Buchnevich will stay together? Like, will the Rangers... We also talked about the Rangers recently and how they were loading up with Kreider, Stepan, and Zuccarello on that top line. They didn't really have anyone else because all the good players were injured. Now that they're getting their players back, I'd be curious to know, who do you think sticks in that top six? Does Buchnevich have a spot there? Hard to say. The Rangers love rolling a balanced top nine. I think he's proven that he's a good part of that top nine, how high they're willing to play him and how they configure their lines now that they're healthy enough to try and go that top nine road again. We'll have to see. I don't have much of a prediction of how it's going to look. If I had to guess, I would just say it was going to look the way it looks before. And Buchnevich in that situation was playing with Zibanejad and doing quite well together. They were really clicking. I think even on the power play, they had a few good turns. As for what you could expect from Buchnevich personally, Ilana, you wrote it in the show notes. I, I didn't know if I heard you say it. 10 points over his last 12 games, four goals, six assists. But it's hard to go back all those 12 games when there's a two-month gap once you're further than two games back. 
And if you recall and rewind the Rangers season two months ago to when Buchnevich left the lineup, they were scoring on an insane number of the shots they were taking. They were causing people watching to think that they tapped into that new offensive system that perpetually was going to allow them to score at a higher shooting percentage and a higher shooting success rate. So uh, it's been a while, suffice to say, and we'll see how he does at this point in the season. He has been one of the better rate stat guys on the team for when he has been in the lineup. He leads the team in points for 60 minutes. I would consider him as just one of many 50-point guys who you want to watch for opportunity when he gets into a good line combo or power play situation. And yeah, he was doing really well with Zibanejad. I would be interested to see if they can recreate some of that magic they had if they get hooked up again when Zibanejad also outjuries. Yeah, so we'll come back to the Rangers next week because I think Zibanejad will be back and then we could talk about what is the outcome of that. But by the way, you know, we mentioned a while back that everyone on the Rangers had cooled off except for that top-loaded first line and, of course, Ryan McDonough. But actually, lately, the others have caught fire once again. So you've got Kevin Hayes, 11 points in his last 12. JT Miller, 10 in his last 12. Grabner, 9 in his last 12. Even Nick Holden, 9 points in his last 12. And he's a defenseman. So, like, would you say that you'd want any of those guys I just mentioned over Buchnevich, Or is Buchnevich the top guy you'd want on the Rangers, aside from the big three and also Zibanejad? That's a tough one. I'm going to say... I don't know. I really do. Like, when I said he was one of those group of 50 point guys I I really feel like they're all equal and you can see which line happens to be on fire if I want to pick two that look particularly interesting I mean Michael Grabner leads the league in goals per 60 minutes he's making the most of his ice time of course has a very high shooting percentage but he's still making the most of his opportunities both in terms of the shots he takes and the minutes he gets And Nick Holden, we mentioned last week, he's a leader in points per 60 minutes amongst defensemen who have played at least, well, last week it was at least 700 minutes. We could probably notch that up just a little bit. So he's someone who's playing a lot of minutes and making efficient use of them in scoring points. It's been a really funny way. You know, Nick Holden is just not a name you'd expect to see there. Michael Grabner, I feel like this might not be his first rodeo doing so well at goals per 60 minutes. All in all, though, I mean, the Rangers team shooting percentage, it's not spiking the way it did last time that all these streaks happened. They are emerging from a sort of valley they were in, in terms of shot attempts and the share of shot attempts they were getting each game. But at the end of the day, these are all guys who I consider 50-point players who will have streaks like these to be found and ridden if you can. Obviously, this is not a group of 60, 70, 80-point guys as their pace over the last 10 games might lead you to believe if you don't listen to this show ever. Okay, so how about this, Brian? I'm just going to say that you're saying Buchnevich just because I want to name. So as we go throughout the show and I'm mentioning other guys who might be free agents and I'm going to ask you to compare them and find out who's at the top of the guys we're talking about. I'm going to say Buchnevich is the top one. He's the one that's most exciting to me now. I know Kevin Hayes also is on this big streak, but like I said, he's probably going to get bumped by Zibanejad. Okay, let's go to our next outjury. Let's talk about a couple big names that missed four games. So maybe there's not too much to talk about. It's not a huge uh, change to the lineup. They only were out last week. But like Jamie Benn came back for the Stars after missing four games with a foot injury. Nothing aside from a shot and four hits in his first game back, but got an assist and four shots on goal yesterday versus Minnesota. Ben up to 35 points in 40 games. You know, we had people worried about Ben at different points throughout the season. Like, clearly he's really great. And I know there's some injury concern and, he, you know, he just had this injury and also he had the surgery in the offseason. But, you know, he's pretty close. He's a couple multi-point games away from being back at a point per game, just like we would have expected from him. So I don't know if there's too much to say about him. You know, obviously with Dallas, we always want to look at what the lines are, especially when Ben and Sagan are in the lineup. So last night, the top line had Eves with Ben and Sagan for a bit and Spezza there 
for a bit. Obviously, that's great for Spezza owners. They always like to get the extra points. So Spezza actually has 11 points in his last 10 games. So I don't even know if it really matters for him. He's on a roll. Eves is that kind of guy where... Man, like when he's in that top line, sometimes he goes on an amazing roll, but we've also seen him go so completely quiet. So once again, hey, take a look. If Eves is there and you need a spot start for a day, pick him up. Who knows? You might end up riding him for like two weeks while he goes on another tear. I want to check in on some other Dallas guys, Brian. John Klingberg, a goal to assist yesterday versus Minnesota. That gives him eight points in his last six games. Three of them multi-point games. So this guy is back in a big way. Patrick Sharp also is a guy who we called a snoozer at one point. He kept on getting injured. And even when he came back, he wasn't doing anything. I'm going to take him away from snoozer territory at this point. Maybe someone to at least add to your watch list, if not add, if he's still available. He has five points in his last six games, 19 shots on goal. He's not really playing on a great line. He played on a line with Korpakovsky and Faxa yesterday, which you wouldn't think would be good. But actually, Faxa has six points in his last five. Korpakowski four in his last five. So they're all on a roll right now. Maybe it's because of Patrick Sharp. In general, that's all I got to say about Dallas. Any comments on any of those players I've just mentioned? Jamie Benn had a lot of people worrying this year, and rightfully so. He wasn't on a point-per-game pace. And even though he was maybe, you could have argued maybe he was approaching it, he had like three three-point games that made him look a lot more consistent than he actually had been. And seeing 0-0-3-0-0-3 is great in one way, but also a little concerning in another there's something still a bit off with him and his numbers this year and after this long break he took we'll see if he's been able to heal whatever I'm guessing was ailing him the percentages also hadn't been in his favor believe it or not so it's safe to say that he remains a point per game or near point per game guy even with this adversity he's faced and the other guy I want to talk about is Radek Faxa who's been decent for several stretches this year and I think he will step into a larger role on this team in the coming years. He also blocks shots, though, is one reason you might be interested in him. So if he is getting assists, he sits third amongst all forwards in shots blocked, which is a really interesting thing to think about. He's not, like, far ahead of the pack. There's a couple guys. I think Tom Pyatt is number one in the league right now for Ottawa. But Faxa is also not a big shooter. So if you get him on your team, it's almost like a defense ad where you're hoping for an assist and a block, and maybe that'll do the job for you. Korpikoski, nothing exciting for me. It's interesting that Patrick Sharp is bringing some offense to this line, so we'll see if that keeps up. Something certainly to watch. I imagine he's available in a lot of leagues right now. Yeah, and also, Brian, I noticed you tweeted, or you retweeted Cam, Cam Robinson, who was on the podcast recently. He tweeted, with three points tonight, so this was yesterday, with three points tonight and 12 in his last 12, John Klingberg is suddenly on pace for 51 points. Boy, what a difference a month can make. So all of a sudden, this guy was completely snoozing, and a lot of people were maybe trading low for him, or maybe even dropping him in shallow leagues. Like, hopefully, those of you who held on are numerous, because you deserve some credit for holding on through the rough patch. We knew that John Carlson was going to be good, because he's on the top power play on this Dallas team with Ben and Sagan and when they're healthy there's so much that can come and there wasn't really anyone to compete with him like some guys we've mentioned throughout the the season like there's been no one that's even really contended so I had a feeling he'd bounce back at some point I'm very happy for him and I'm very happy for the Klingberg owners who have had a bit of a rough patch at some points yeah I was gonna try to interrupt you you said John Carlson instead of Klingberg earlier in that little run but I think we all know who you're talking about 
Oh, so Carlson's also bounced back, even though apparently he got injured today. But also, I heard that he might even come back tomorrow. So don't fret Carlson owners, and we'll actually get to him a little bit later, too, I think. The other outjury from a four-game miss was Ryan Getzlaff. He had one assist in each game since his return, which is great. He's played twice, two assists. Fantastic. I think this is especially good news for Ricard Raquel, who's back on line one with Getzlaff and Perry, and back on power play one with Kessler and Getzlaff. We all know how awesome Ricard Raquel was doing, but he had been playing center for a bit with Getzlaff out, and he was doing nothing like he literally had a long stretch with no points five scoreless games in a row i know a lot of people probably dropped him or you know brian probably was thinking oh, i'm for sure gonna win my bet against elon now that ricard raquel has slowed down and i tweeted from our group i tried to warn people you know don't drop him yet because when gets comes back that's where he rolls like the whole point of why i liked him was because he was on the top line with gets and perry there he is he had a goal and assist versus colorado on thursday and nothing yesterday so i'm not saying he's like amazing and maybe i was wrong to be so so high on him because obviously he went through this cold stretch but that happens i still like him i say if he was dropped in your league you should definitely jump on him now. Brian, do you concur? Certainly watch him. Jump on him might be a little strong because I don't think he's totally returned to form. He had totally entered snoozer territory, though, with Getzlaff out. He had just two goals and no assists for two points in 13 games before he picked up that pair of points in Getzlaff's return against Colorado, of all teams. Uh, his shot rates also settled down to what amounts to zeros, ones, and twos in the shots column, which you can compare with what was happening before. And when he came into the lineup and went on his super hot run to start his year, he was getting anywhere between one and six shots and usually at least two or at least three, but now it's zeros, ones, and twos again. The question is, after so much of nothing, has Raquel paid his dues to the gods of regression? Like all that we've seen, was that just evening everything out? And my answer is that I don't think he has totally paid his dues to them yet. He is better than two points in 13 games. The question is how much better Elon, you would wager he's like eight or nine points in 13 games. Good. And I would wager he's well, seven or eight, maybe you would say nine or 10 points in 13 Mm -hmm. games. I don't know what our pace bet translates to. I still see him overall as a 50 point guy. Uh, Certainly not what you did when we bet on him. I'm still feeling confident in the chances I'm going to win it, but if he did get dropped in your league, gets left coming back could be an impetus for him to start scoring again, at least more than he has in the last several weeks. Okay, it was a 55-point pace. That was our bet over under. I think he's above a 55-point pace guy, but you know, not like crazy over, of course. But still, I think, Brian, you know, don't listen to him, listeners, because if you wait, he'll be gone if he's available as a free agent. And he's the type of guy, obviously, if it's in a super shallow league, it's completely different. But if he's the type of guy that was definitely owned before and then someone dropped him because they were impatient, I'd say Adam. That's my opinion. Okay, also, Corey Perry also hasn't minded gets us to return as he had a goal on Thursday and an assist yesterday. Still having a pretty disappointing season, I guess. He has 33 points in 45 games, a 60-point pace. Now, not horrible, but like he's not the Corey Perry. I guess we've already talked about him before, so maybe we don't have to get too deep into him. But like at this point, is he just a 60-point guy? We have to expect it. He only had 62 points last year. So I feel like we're well beyond the years of him being a 65-plus 70-point guy. I came into the air saying you should watch for a drop in Corey Perry's production. So you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to back him as a 60-point guy, nothing more. Except I'm not so sure that's true. I think he's still better than what he's given us. His shot rates on the power play have actually gone way up this year though they have slipped a bit uh, in even strength, even though not a whole lot, uh, but still slipping at even strength way up on the power play. His shooting percentage is crazy low. It's dropped 10% 
compared to what he's seen it be for the last three years. And that's part of the deal with a player of his type. If you're a finisher kind of player, a sniper kind of player, and you can't get to those shooting areas that you like quite as easily or get your shot off quite as quickly anymore, you are going to see a drop in your ability to convert those shots into goals, but not this much of a drop. So to be honest, I think Perry is putting up a decent season so far for what we could have expected. And I think he can hoist himself up to a 65 point pace, but if he gets kicked off the power play again, uh, that won't help. And of course I'm talking about the first unit unless Elon, am I mistaken? Did that, that happened, right? Yeah. Corey Perry is not on the top power play. It's been yeah. Raquel gets and Kessler and then a couple defensemen probably, yeah. you know who? Yeah. The, the other guys. Um, so <laughs> if he stays off that first unit, I think actually that's why his power play shot rates have spiked up. I think he is the centerpiece of that second unit and it goes through him. So he's playing a different role than he did on the first unit, which has allowed him to be the guy. If he can make that work for him, that will help him get up to 65 points. Uh, But staying off that first power play, I think it would be better for him to be on that top power play and not taking all those shot attempts than it is for him to be the centerpiece of that second unit. Yeah, fair enough. And obviously, I was talking about Fowler and Vatnin as the defenseman on the top power play. Okay, Brian, before we move on to some more outries, some goalie outries, let's take a second to thank the sponsor of this week's episode of Keeping Carlson, SeatGeek. SeatGeek, it's the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season and other things, right? Concerts and shows and whatever you want to go to, you can get your ticket on SeatGeek. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to buy hockey tickets. You know, Brian, my parents were in town this weekend and my stepfather was saying that he would hate to go. He said he refuses to go to Sens games. He's a big Sens fan, but he refuses to go to games in Ottawa against the Leafs because he finds the Leafs fans so obnoxious. Whenever they're yelling, go Leafs, go. It just makes him so mad. He thinks it's so disrespectful, which makes me really want to go to a Leafs game with him in Ottawa. So I could yell, go Leafs, go and piss him off and obviously it's tough ticket to get so you got to check out SeatGeek. SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. So if you want to go and piss off your parents at a hockey game, why not check out SeatGeek? And you know what? You could even get an extra special deal because you're a listener of Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell the listeners about that? Yeah, maybe if he knew that he could get a $20 rebate off his first ticket purchase at SeatGeek by using the code KEEPING when he makes his account or downloads the app or however he's going to purchase his tickets, maybe he'll feel better about it. And then he can take those $20 and buy popcorn to throw at the Leafs fans who yell, go Leafs, go. Again, all he'd need to do is download the app, enter the promo code KEEPING, and then he will get a crisp $20 check after his first purchase with SeatGeek. Yeah, and patron Cam here in the chat room says, I used it yesterday, I like it, SeatGeek, it's so neat. So there you go, that's another slogan for SeatGeek. All right, Brian, let's get back to outjuries here. A couple goalies returned last week. Ben Bishop returned to the Lightning on Thursday after missing nine games. 4-2 4-2 win versus Buffalo, 24 saves. That's a 9.23 save percentage for those counting. So not too shabby. That's much better than the 9.08 he has on the season overall. So maybe indication of a bounce back. Obviously only one game, but with Vasilevsky having done so poorly in his absence, I assume Bishop will be given his chance to shine to try to help Tampa Bay get into the playoffs, which is not a guarantee for them this year for sure. Which Ben Bishop do you expect going forward? Last year's Vesna finalist or this year's .908 guy? Well, the question really is, Elon, which Tampa Bay Lightning are we going to see the rest of the season? I think that whatever they've been doing has had a profound effect on their goaltenders who have both shown themselves to be at least league average in the past, a Vesna winner in the past amongst them. And they're looking very, very 
flawed this year. I don't think all of a sudden their games have collapsed. I think something is wrong in front of them. And we've talked about this at length with the scoring situation, or maybe it's just a bad season for both of them. Either way, uh, Andre Vasilevsky with his 906 save percentage, that's not going to cut it. So I think Ben Bishop has to be your starter. And if you're asking me like if he's going to be amazing again, or if he's just going to continue being crummy, I would hope for league average is what I'm looking for from Ben Bishop. I think he's going to get the next several starts. And if he can run with it, because he can't do much worse than Vasilevsky was doing. Yeah, no one could be that bad. Like maybe Steve Mason could be worse than Vasilevsky has been doing. And we'll get to him soon. But yeah, and we already talked about last week, by the way. I'm starting to get very concerned about this idea that Vasilevsky's the for sure starter on Tampa Bay for years to come. And, you know, we'll follow that as we go. But right now it's Ben Bishop's time. Let's see what he can do returning. By the way, speaking of Tampa Bay, they play four times next week. So it might be a good time to pick up a streaming guy from that team. Assuming Palat and Johnson are taken, who are maybe the guys lower than the obvious like Hedman and Kucherov. I think my current favorite of the typical available Tampa guys is the guy who I started the show by yelling his name, Vladislav Namiestnikov, because he's currently on the top line with Kucherov and Palat and the top power play with those guys and Tyler Johnson. So a really nice situation for Namiestnikov, and he's been taking advantage of it. He has three points in his last four games. Not insane, but he also has 12 shots on goal in that span. So I say if you got four games on the line with Kucherov and on the top power play with Kucherov, that's a guy who maybe I would roll the dice with. And I actually did. I have him on my Cupful team. I don't plan on having him all the way until the playoffs. By the way, the Cupful is the Keeping Carlson Elsman Patron Fantrax League. But anyway, I like Nemesnikov for next week. So he plays tomorrow. Adam, at least for then, if you can. I said yes to Nemesnikov earlier this week, too. In fact, I don't know if, if you just followed my lead on him, Elon. I'm, I'm very flattered if you did. Uh, I needed a spot start. He played Thursday and Friday. And uh, I was very happy with what I got. I got a power play assist. I got eight shots on goal. And I was even happier that he just didn't end up back in the bottom six because that's how this always ends with Nemesikov in the top six. And there's generally not much of a warning or preceding event that really tells us he deserves to be put back down there. He just ends up down out of the top six. So I think he's a great add to your team while he's in the top six, while he's getting good power play deployment. But keep an eye out on that deployment. He usually doesn't bounce around like instantly too. So once you see him out of that top six and off that power play, it could be another little while till he gets his next turn. That's what you need to know if you are going to make a play for Nemesnikov. Oh yeah, you got to be checking out the line combos at Dabur Hockey and Frozen Pool if you're planning on adding him. Don't hold him when he'll snooze in the bottom six. So okay, I guess right now we've got Buchnevich as the top possible free agent available. Who would you add for next week and beyond right now, Nemesnikov or Buchnevich? I'll take Nemesnikov. I've really liked his game. And again, this is all just predicated on whether or not he stays in the top six. If you are concerned that he's going to become worthless and you can't just swap him out quickly for Buchnevich if you want to midweek, then maybe it would be a little more conservative to go with Buchnevich because, well, I mean, I, we don't even know where he's going to end up, but I imagine top nine and top nine is pretty even in New York. Yeah, okay, I agree with you. I'd say Nemesnikov maybe has a better spot right now, but Buchnevich probably is the safer pick for the rest of the season if you don't have too many moves and you want to get a guy who might actually stay in your lineup. I think you have a better chance of holding Buchnevich all year than you would Nemesnikov. Okay, the other goalie who returned is Matt Murray, who returned on Thursday after suffering a lower body injury on December 28th. He let in four goals on 33 shots and a 4-1 to loss to Ottawa. So not a great return, 
But then Fleury was brutal yesterday against Detroit, letting in six goals on 34 shots. And he also had a bad start versus Washington in his previous game, a 5-2 loss on Wednesday. So, Brian, overall, I guess Matt Murray had a bad return, but it's not like Marc-Andre Fleury has been doing a great job of convincing people that he should be the starter again. So do we assume Matt Murray is back to being the starter? If you recall, Brian, maybe a month ago, you said on the podcast that you're officially giving up on saying that Fleury is going to, you know, share starts. You think Matt Murray is officially the starter. Is that still the case? Like, overall, Murray has a 925 save percentage versus Fleury's 904. What do you think about that Pittsburgh goalie situation as it currently stands with Matt Murray back in the lineup? Yeah, it's got to be Matt Murray. He has to be the number one. No contest. He did let in several goals against Ottawa. I was at that game, and a couple of the goals were deflections. Like, he had no chance, and he was outdueled by Mike Condon and Mike Condon's goalpost. But overall, like, it was his first game back. He looked all right. Fleury had built up some steam over a few games, but then it all just went right out the window with his last two starts. There's zero consistency from Marc-Andre Fleury this year. I think it's affecting him not to be the workhorse goalie that he's been his entire career. I think even going back to his junior days, he was the workhorse. So this is a really new situation. I'm shocked between these two situations in Tampa and Pittsburgh when before the season we were just trying to figure who was going to be able to reach up and grab the number one position. It has been at times a game of who is not going to lose the number. Like it's been always somebody's job to, I don't know if uh, the best way to put this, but the level of competition for that spot has been so poor in Tampa and Marc-Andre Fleury has not mounted much of a challenge in Pittsburgh. So it's been a, a real surprise that things played out this way. I was definitely expecting a lot more good goaltending to be going around between those four guys. Yeah, definitely. Maybe there'll be some good goaltending to come. Right now, I guess the front runners are Bishop and Matt Murray. So let's see how they do over the next few weeks. And since we're here in Pittsburgh, all right, here we go. Let's get this out of the way. Chris Letang got hurt again yesterday. Just the most deflating thing to read. His third time injured this year. Brian, what? were we thinking what was i thinking drafting him like spending so much money in the auction draft and like a couple for him it, it kills me he scored a goal and then left the game with a leg injury so he gave me one like parting gift before he's probably gonna leave my roster for a month who knows like actually i was reading an article uh interviewing other players on the team commenting on Latang's injury right now they don't know the extent and basically like there was someone saying he might be out for a game he might be out for a month he might be out longer so no one knows whoever knows this guy there's nothing for we don't need to say anything right we could just play the uh, clip from the episode the last time Latang got injured it's probably the same thing go for Schultz if somehow he's still available I'm sure he's not so it's too late if you're the Schultz owner you know happy birthday to you like a great turn of events where he's going to continue to be on that top power play and hopefully keep producing hopefully if you're a Latang owner we'll give you the names of some defensemen that you can maybe add to replace him in the short term like uh, Matthias Eckholm maybe there's the next Algeri guy we're about to discuss you know we'll talk about some throughout the episode honestly like I would normally say now is a good time to buy low whenever a player gets injured. So yeah, buy low on Latang if you want at your own risk. Sell low, though, if you own Latang and you want to rest easier going into your fantasy hockey playoffs, you have my permission. If you tweeted us asking, like, should I trade Latang for this guy? You have my permission to trade Latang for someone who's not as good just because you need to be, have someone you could rely on going into your fantasy hockey playoffs. But, ugh, is there really anything else we can even say? Ugh, I hate this. Every time Latang gets injured, I feel like, okay, that's his injury for the year. He's going to stay healthy the rest of the way. He's had time to be fit and get up to whatever level he wants to be at and is now starting fresh. And yeah, so disappointing as someone who owns him in, I think, at least half my leagues this year. And Justin Schultz is going to continue to be the guy, even though, Elon, we pointed out he still was the guy. He was actually the lone defenseman on that top power play unit 
for a little while, even with a healthy Latang, I guess at least we can say that there is still somebody who can step into that role in Pittsburgh and put up points. So if he is available in your league, which he very likely isn't, yeah, you can go grab him. And I guess uh, at least Latang gave us a nice parting gift this time by getting a goal before getting injured. He can get injured for every other game this season as long as he scores a goal first. Yeah, I think patron Jade said in the Facebook group something funny or like maybe she was quoting someone else like a Latang hat trick should be counted as a goal assist and an injury. And that would be like a Latang hat trick. <laughs> that made me laugh. Maybe also this is good news, by the way, for Patrick Hornfist, who now gets to stay on the top power play because for a while, like you said, like Latang, well, maybe even if Schultz was taking the only spot for a defenseman on the power play, that probably wasn't going to last. That almost for sure wasn't going to last if Latang was healthy. But, you know, at some points, Latang and Schultz were both on the top power play and Patrick Hornfist was bumped. So now with only one good defenseman to be there, Patrick Horkvist gets his stay of execution. Hopefully he can continue to try to bounce back. He's been up and down. I I was toying with mentioning him as like a cold streak guy on the podcast, but he's had a couple of okay games recently. So fine. Now you Horkvist owners could also rest a little easier with Letang out, I guess, even though I guess there's maybe going to be less goals to go around with Letang out. He's such an amazing player. Very frustrating. I don't even want to stay on Pittsburgh anymore, Brian. Let's go to another outjury, another defenseman here that we can talk about. Mark Strait is back for Philly after having been out for over a month. Interestingly, his return yesterday coincided with Shane Gostisbehere being healthily scratched. So Strait went right to the top power play and he got a power play assist and four shots on goal. And I'm just realizing now that Philly also played today against Washington. They got shut out 5 nothing. Steve Mason, just brutal. Let me check. And Ghost Bear was back and Ghost Bear was back manning the top power play. But no power play goals, no goals at all. The team got shut out. So I'd be curious to know what you think, Brian, in terms of is there any chance that when Ghost Bear returns, which he did, like that Mark Strait can challenge for that top power play spot? Like Ghost now is pointless in four. Make that pointless in five now that there's been a game today. Ghost only has 19 points in 43 games on the season. Compare that to 46 and 64 last year. So that's under a half point per game pace this year for Shane Gostisbehere. Under 20 minutes of time on ice for a lot of his games recently also. So I would say, first of all, Ghost Bear has been a pretty big bust. Like no one's really talked about it. But for what some people were expecting, like, I think everyone thought he was going to be like a 50, maybe 55 point defenseman this year. He's been well below that. And also like straight isn't even the only competition for Ghost Bear. Provorov has been seeing a lot of ice time, like more ice time than Ghost Bear. And he has four assists in his last six games, 20 points in 45 games on the season, which is more than Ghost Bear. Ghost Bear has 19, Provorov has 20. Who would have expected that? So I guess, Brian, overall, what's your take on the Philly D situation at this point in terms of offense? I don't want to talk about the Philly D situation in terms of defense because we know that's horrid, but just in terms of where you can get points for your fantasy team, is it still for sure Ghost Bear's job? Do you think that we thought he was better than he actually is? Is Straight or Provorov maybe about to get a boost or are they better? So what do you think about these three guys? Okay, well, let me start by saying you said they had no power play goals today against Washington. Well, they were shut out, so right. Uh, They had five opportunities, though, so it wasn't like they had one or two or none. They had five opportunities, 0 for 5 on the power play, a very, very sad power play, and a sad day for Philadelphia. It's been a sad while for Philadelphia. The team is a disaster, and one of the reasons they're a disaster is not just because I, they're not scoring or stopping shots, but they sat Shane Gostisbehere, who leads the team in shot attempts to ward percentage. Uh, and instead, they let Michael Delzato and Andrew McDonald stay in the lineup. It's beyond me why, when your team is struggling, you turn the spotlight to your strongest player, one of your stronger players, and say, it's your fault we're not winning. Instead of looking at the depth guys who 
maybe they can't play any better. Maybe they should sit and you should try somebody new. I guess the idea is maybe you can't get any more out of those depth guys than you're already getting, but you think you can get more out of someone like Ghost who you can light a fire under. It seems to me like an old NHL tactic that is only getting older. Nothing appears wrong with his game, and I think they're hurting themselves. The team is shooting itself in the foot by keeping him out of the lineup. His possession numbers are actually better than they were last year. The team is way better at generating shots and suppressing shots while he's on the ice. What more can they reasonably ask for from him? I have no idea. And maybe this is just the penalty to Ghost for having everything go right for him as a rookie and then having it expected again of him. Even when I think he should be cut some slack and the decision makers around him should have an understanding of variance and how maybe it's not working in his favor this year when it was working in his favor last year. It also could be the last gasp of a coach trying anything to place blame or shift the spotlight or kick things until they work. Uh, But to get to your question, Elon, Ghost Bear, he should be in the lineup is what I'm trying to say. He is the Flyers' best defenseman, both in offense and I I think as a result in defense as well. Uh, The three guys are capable of having that spot, like Strite, Provorov, and Ghost Bear can all run a power play. I think Ghost should be the one who gets to do it. So, okay, in terms of like, if let's say Latang got injured and you're looking to add someone and obviously Ghost Bear isn't available, like Strite or Provorov, like is there either of these guys that jumps out to you as a better add, at least for the short term? Well, with Ghost Bear already on the top power play again, I feel like there's not a ton of value to be found with those guys. Maybe a little more with Provorov than with Strite because Strite seems to only get into a good role if Ghost Bear is out of the picture entirely. I guess you could. I mean, Elon, it depends on what other options are out there. If Nick Holden is out there, I might actually consider him ahead of those guys if Ghost continues leading the top power play. I can't imagine he's going to get scratched again. It's going to happen. It's ridiculous. Okay, well, Provorov, like I said, has more points than Ghost so far and is on a streak right now. So I would take Provorov over Nick Holden, I think. Maybe I'm not giving Nick Holden enough credit, but okay, so we'll get... Provorov or Holden as the two guys as we move forward. We're going to have some other defensemen I'm going to bring up, including one shortly. But since we're on Philly, okay, they're a mess. Clearly, Neuwirth got killed yesterday, letting in five goals on 38 shots versus Boston. Mason got killed today versus Washington. Like, both goalies, so, so bad. Someone asked on Facebook recently, like, which goalie tandem you'd rather have moving forward, Philly or Dallas? And it seems like Dallas is the easy choice at this point, right? Even though Niemi owners may not feel this way after yesterday where he led in three goals on three shots, then got pulled. And I know, Brian, you're one of them. But overall, like, obviously both sad goalie situations. But Philly, like, ridiculous. Like, are they going to bounce back? Is there reason to hold on to Mason? Like, you love Mason. We already talked about him yesterday, but it's just another week of badness. Like, should Mason owners just drop him at this point? And, like, Neuwirth, is there any value there? Like, he's had a couple good games, I think. But, like, overall, he's been brutal this year, too. Like, what's going on with these Philly goalies? What do you do if you own them? Like, do, I have Mason in one league. Should I just put him on my bench every single game until something changes? I don't know. I don't know. I'm reaching for answers, too. If I, you know, I, I would be happy to start an NHL team, have Steve Mason on it, make him my number one goalie, make sure there's some sort of effective system in place in front of him, and everything would be great. And I think he'd continue putting up some of the better numbers of his career and not this garbage pile that he has put in front of us lately. Thing is, it's happening to Michael Neuvirth, too, and it's similar to what I have said about Tampa. I'm going to say it about Philly. I think there's some problems that are affecting both goalies. These are two guys who have had NHL careers where they've either been average or way above average or just below average. 
And now neither of them can stop a puck. And I don't think that has to do like suddenly with two guys who just happen to be on the same team have both fallen off a cliff. I think there are bigger issues at play here. Unfortunately, I can't say the same thing about Dallas. These are two goalies in Lettinen and Niemi who have fallen off a cliff or maybe a very low cliff. And just you can't expect much from them. As a Niemi owner last night, oh boy, that was a nightmare. What a terrible, terrible thing to happen. Anyone starting Niemi wouldn't expect that. And usually, Elon, the thing with these goalies, the same thing with the Philly tandem and the Dallas tandem, sometimes there's no other goalies playing that night. So you start them both. And if one guy blows it, he gets pulled and the other guy comes in and at least can just beef up your numbers a little bit and still have a shot at the win. Last night, I didn't even get the chance to do that. This is now about me. I had Niemi and Rene in and Lettinen was on my bench and Lettinen came in and had a 9.29 save percentage or whatever and whatever time he played, stopped 10 of 11 or somewhere around there. Anyway, I'm just really upset about both situations. Steve Mason, what have you done to me? If you have him in a league, I think it's time to consider just letting go. Like, who else would want him right now? This isn't going to last. Like, things will get better and will turn around. And I sound ridiculous for saying that because I can just say it long enough and it's going to come true. And I shouldn't be allowed to take any credit for it. And I won't take any credit for it when it happens. But there is still some marginal value there for when Philly figures out what's happening and is able to turn their game around. Yeah, I just don't get how this team won like 10 games in a row and now is so horrible. But I agree with you, Brian. I'm actually going to take the Brian side here and say, Steve Mason, like if you drop him, I just feel like I have him, like I said, and I'm not dropping him just because I just know that at some point he's going to do better. At least I think so. Uh, So I might just not play him for a little while and wait it out. But obviously, maybe there'll be a coaching change in Philly or something needs to change there. Okay. And Brian, by the way, you know, you didn't get hurt too much by that Niemi horrible start for you because your opponent had... Thomas Grice, who got destroyed by Carolina. So all's well that ends well, right? Yeah, so few goalies get destroyed by Carolina. The uh, the fantasy gods were really smiling on me in that one. Another returning defenseman, Mike Green, is back for Detroit. Back to the top power play. He had a goal and an assist yesterday against Pittsburgh in a big 6-3 win. No points in the two games before that. So, you know, that was a crazy game for Detroit. I don't expect that to keep up. But, you know, definitely Mike Green doesn't have any competition And, you know, I kind of said the same thing about Klingberg before and saying that's why I had a good feeling that Klingberg would bounce back. So you'd think that I should say the same thing about Mike Green, except Green has been not great for a while now, but still probably worth a look if he was dropped and he is still available. You know, he was slumping for a while, but he's a top power play defenseman on a team that has been scoring a lot lately. Like, are you bummed that you missed out on Mantha on Detroit? He's a guy who we talked about for a while. He just keeps on rolling. Like, you should be bummed. He has 13 points in his last 12. I added him in the couple and traded him. So we'll see if I was dumb, actually. But hey, you know what? Mantha and Zetterberg have a new line mate on even strength and the top power play. And that's Gustav Nyquist. Remember him? A guy who we talked about as having huge upside. A couple of seasons ago, he had a huge end to the year. And then he really didn't do that much last year and has been totally garbage this year. But hey, Nyquist, one goal, one assist versus Dallas on Thursday, then one goal and two assists yesterday versus Pittsburgh. So I would check your free agent list. He could have been dropped since he's been so bad this year. And, you know, if you're bummed about having lost out on Mantha, Gustav Nyquist is now playing with Mantha and Zetterberg, and he's finally doing something. Yeah, and off that line is Thomas Tatar. And Mantha's great. Mantha's doing very well. I remember looking at that line and saying, you know, some regression is due, but what Mantha's doing should actually offset some of that. He was doing better than his line mates at generating offense. So while everybody was bound to face some decline in what they were doing, Mantha was 
the least likely to feel it in a hard way. And anyway, he's kept going. He's doing really well. I'm glad he's finally getting a sustained shot at generating offense and making the most of it. Great guy to have while this is all happening. And then taking it back, Mike Green, he's actually on my roster. So he's been under my microscope for a while. He had done nothing for a really long time before getting injured. If he hadn't gotten injured, he might have just gotten dropped. And I actually had Matt Dumba ready to take his spot as my fourth defenseman. But Green had this week to prove himself, three games after being injured. And though it took him till the third game to hit the score sheet, he actually put up five shots and seven blocks in those two scoreless games. So still some meaningful lines, even though he wasn't on the score sheet that whole time. And now as power play quarterback, he's certainly worth a look, but keep him on short leash because his team isn't great. However, his team is a little better because of all that Mantha is doing. So I'm looking to Anthony Mantha to be a fantasy savior in Detroit and help everybody get a few more points, especially on the power play. Wow. So you're buying in big time into Mantha, it sounds like. Uh, maybe Zetterberg deserves the credit. He's the actual superstar on the team, or at least at one point was. I like Mantha's game over the last month or so more than Zetterberg's and maybe that's not fair to say uh because Mantha's coming up and Zetterberg's you know at the sunset sequence of his career but I think now's the time where we start looking I mean last year with Dylan Larkin everybody was right on board and he was the one to get most excited about I feel like Mantha is that guy this year Okay, so I guess you're saying you would definitely want Mantha over like Nyquist and Nemesnikov, who we had before. I assume that goes without saying. What about, you know, if Mantha's not available, like I'm sure he isn't, you had Nemesnikov as your top guy for the short term, at least. How would you compare him with Nyquist right now as an ad for next week? Nyquist also plays four games. Detroit plays four games just like Tampa does. I'm going to call it even. I would say, again, like there's a whole caveat with Nemesnikov. He might drop off that top line or that top unit. So if you're a little concerned about that, you can go with Nyquist and maybe he'll stay in the spot that Tatar had. I'm curious to see if Nyquist can do more in that space than Tatar did. Tatar had a few little points here and there, but it didn't seem like it was a place where he was going to score as much as it seemed like he should, being with Zetterberg and Mantha. I'm curious to know if Nyquist can take advantage of that. And this is all to not answer your question. I don't know who I'd want between Nyquist and the Mesnikov. If I'm bidding tomorrow, I think I would lean the Mesnikov just because I've been disappointed by Nyquist so often. But again, exactly the same thing as I said before, you're watching his deployment very carefully. Yeah, it's like both of them right now are on the top line and top power plays. That's why I'm mentioning them. Whoever lasts there longer is probably the one that's going to keep producing for longer. And then I guess since we're talking about Mike Green, I assume Green over like Provorov, who you kind of said you didn't even like. So I don't even have to ask you that. You're going to say for sure Mike Green over Provorov. Yes, but again, Mike Green on a really short leash. It's hard to turn your back on somebody who is the number one power play quarterback, especially on a unit that plays four forwards. But Mike Green has been like the worst possible scenario for somebody who's in that role. So I guess you can keep an eye on things. I still think the upside is there for somebody who's quarterbacking the first unit. So I would lean towards Green, but still acknowledge that Prorov could easily score as many points the rest of the way. Okay, I'll stop bugging you with these types of questions, Brian, that you're not even prepared for. Let's go to the next fantasy hockey headline of the week. Injuries. But you know what? I only have one injury for you. So this won't be a long segment, but Roman Yosi is on the IR with an upper body injury. He was hurt during Thursday's game, missed Saturday, and will miss at least Tuesday's game, just because that's how it works when you're put on IR. We don't know yet how long he'll be out. Yosi has been cold with only three points, all assists in his last 10 games. 
hopefully he'll heal well and bounce back strong to being that like superstar defenseman that he was last year and for a couple seasons now. Just a week ago, we talked about P.K. Subban being injured. And just a reminder with Subban, he was put on the IR with an upper body injury on January 1st, and they said he'd be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So that means that there should be this reevaluation happening any time now. He's skated on Thursday, so we'll find out what happens with Subban. But until then, with Subban and Yozi out, that leaves the top two D on Nashville as Matthias Ekholm and I guess Ryan Ellis. And Ekholm has been getting the majority of the power play time. So let's talk about him. Ekholm has two points in his last four games, eight points in his last 13 so, you know, that's a around a half point per game defenseman, which is pretty good. If you can pick up a half point per game defenseman in free agency in the short term, that's not a bad ad at all, I would say. So last week we were kind of meh on Ekholm with only Subban out. But now are you more interested in him with Yozi out as well, at least in the short term while Subban is injured? Yeah, I am. Matisse Ekholm has been one of Nashville's best play driving defenseman in the last three years. And he's done it very quietly. And this is going by his team's share of shot attempts for while he's on the ice. He actually has the third most shot attempts toward personally over the last three years, also known as Corsi, by the way, we're just talking shot attempts uh, behind Subban and Yozi. That may overstate his offensive contributions a little bit. Like he's not near those guys. I would put his point production is middling and his shot generation the same. He looks like a top four guy that way. So a half point per game out of him would be really nice the rest of the way. We haven't seen much of him in this role. This is a good chance for him to show exactly what his offensive upside is. He has done well in little go rounds before. Uh, So yeah, we'll see. Clearly I'm not sold on any overwhelming offensive talent. Like he's not going to replace Roman Yosi's offense or at least peak Roman Yosi or peak PK Subban. But he could still be a pretty decent guy as Matthias Ekholm. Ryan Ellis has actually a pretty similar profile. They're funny that way. They're both in the top four in Nashville. They both have very good play driving numbers. They both have decent offensive numbers. And neither one has really had a chance to step up for a long period of time. So this is a little window of opportunity. Yeah, and you know, like we said before, with Latang out, you Latang owners need to pick someone up. Take a look at Matisse Ekholm, at least in the short term, until the other Nashville defensemen come back. And hey, you know, even though Nashville has been hurting with these defensemen, they got some relief with James Neal returning after being out a couple of weeks. Pretty boring return yesterday against Colorado. No points, only one shot on goal. He played on a line with Callie Yarncrock and Arvidsson. And Johansson and Forsberg were on a line together with Craig Smith. So Neil, by the way, is now scoreless in six straight games. He started the season slow, then went on a hot run, and now is cold again. All in all, that leaves him with 20 points in 34 games played, which is only a 48-point pace, Brian. Do we expect James Neal to get hot again? Or is there something different about his game than last year when he had 31 goals and 58 points? He was really great then. Not looking like it now, except for that one little run of like 10 games where he was putting up pretty much the most of his 20 points. Yeah, there's none of the usual variance related red flags with him that I'd say, oh, yeah, this is really low. So he should do better here. This is too high and whatever. None of that is happening. Uh, His shot rates and shot counting numbers, however, which are not variance slash quote unquote luck related. They're in their fourth straight year of decline. So I hope he can return to a 55-point pace. 60 would be an optimist's choice. That would be like an extra cherry on top from what I can expect. I don't know that Kelly Yarncroft and Victor Arvidsson are going to work for him as line mates. So he's been somebody who needs someone to help set him up and help get things going over the course of his career. I don't know that either of those two guys are capable of that. So I wonder if he gets reunited with the top line at some point, turning our attention 
to that top line. Philip Forsberg is cruising. He's in that mode where you just have him on your roster and you don't need to worry about him. He's got automatic points just going now. He's the only one of those top three guys in Nashville, him, Neil, and Johansson, who are doing their best right now. Ryan Johansson has just one assist in his last five games and no goals. Meanwhile, look at other places in the lineup. Mike Fisher has six points in his last seven. Austin Watson, his linemate, has four points in his last seven. And then going back to Victor Arvidsson, he has only two points in his last nine. He is entering snoozer territory. I've dropped him in one of my shallower leagues that doesn't count shots on goal. But if your league does, he's still averaging three shots on goal per game, even during this cold snap. So if the points do start coming again and he does get back up to the top liner in a better situation for him offensively, he can still pay some fantasy dividends for you. Mike Fisher, by the way, I want to go back to him. He's 36 years old and just goes under the radar anytime he goes on a run these days because everybody's just so used to him being old and injured and no longer the best center option in Nashville. He got forgotten pretty quickly once Ryan Johansson came along, and rightfully so, but yeah, he's doing well. You can spot start him if you want, but he's on a line, again, with Austin Watson and Colton Sissons or Seasons. I don't, I don't know how to say his name. I'm sorry. So probably not a lot of potential there, but a nice little run. Yeah, and also if your league counts hits, Mike Fisher has 78 hits this year, so that's like two hits a game. So you get that along with currently a nice offensive run. Ryan, you keep saying Ryan Johansson. I'm pretty sure it's Ryan Johansson. We had this chat last week, and I swear I said Johansson last week, and you told me to say Johansson. No way. No way. I've always no, thought it was I, I'm, I'm sure I've got this wrong. I'm sure I've got it reversed. So next week I'll just do whatever I think is right, and it will be wrong. I'm sorry. The funny thing is you could say Rijo. And everyone would say that's fine. So who knows? If you're saying that Victor Arvidsson might be someone to drop, I'm just going to piss you off right now. If you like, you know, have Arvidsson and Nemesnikov or Nyquist, are you making that swap or at least thinking about it? No, because I still have hope. Like not much is working in Nashville right now. Mike Fisher can't continue to be the epicenter of their offense. So I think they're going to need to get Rijo going and they're going to need to get James Neal going and I think Victor Arvidsson can be in that equation somewhere. And again, if your league counts shots, he's not doing nothing for you. Okay, so there we go. We're done with injuries and outjuries. Before we get to some hot and cold streaks to end the show, I want to talk about some backup goalie roster moves that happened last week. So a few interesting things. I guess a few little nuggets. Columbus waived Curtis McElhenney, and then he got claimed by Toronto, who then traded Jonas Enroth to the Ducks for a seventh-round pick. So obviously Enroth doesn't have much of a chance since there's Gibson and Bernier there, though Bernier hasn't been that good, but Bernier actually got a shutout yesterday. That was against Arizona, so I don't know how much that's worth. So McElhenney got his first start for the Leafs yesterday versus Ottawa, and he did well. He had 35 saves on 37 shots and a 4-2 win. He actually has a 928 save percentage in eight games this season, which is pretty good, especially for a backup. Hopefully he'll be a better backup for Frederick Anderson than Anroth was. Like Anroth was brutal on the Leafs, an 872 save percentage in six games. Anderson is at 919, by the way, 930 over the last two months. So Frederick Anderson has been amazing. No chance of Curtis McElhenney like stealing starts, but hopefully he could at least let him rest for a little bit, which would be nice. So that's McElhenney. I think a decent backup. Maybe you can pick him up for a spot start, Brian. You could tell me if you think I'm blowing it here and he's a big risk of blowing up your stats whenever you pick him up for a spot start. Great game against Ottawa, by the way. And I was watching, like I said, that game with my stepfather. And he said, Ottawa always does badly against the backups. They never score against backups. So that was his reason for why Ottawa lost yesterday. But anyway, since we're in Toronto, all the Toronto guys who we talked about last week are still on fire. So I just want to refresh that JVR, Mitch Marner, Tyler Bozak, Kadri, Connor Brown, Austin Matthews, all over a point per game in the last couple of weeks, over the last six games. They've all been amazing. 
who added Connor Brown last week? We told you to. Brian said that he thought that him playing with Austin Matthews was a really good place for him. He's up to seven goals and four assists in his last 10 games played. I didn't add him. I added Nemestikov instead. I don't know if I made a mistake. I think I may have. I don't know. I guess I'm happy with Nemestikov right now. Maybe the grass is always greener on the other side. Okay, let's go back to the top of that whole thing. McElhaney, this is ridiculous. This is probably the most obscure player we've already argued about this season. You and I had a little back and forth. Someone was trying to decide which goalie to spot start for a night. And you backed McElhaney so hard. And I backed Chad Johnson so hard. I ended up being right, but I feel like the odds are pretty even of that whole thing. Anyway, uh, career 905 goalie. He played so well against Ottawa. It reminded me of when he played for Ottawa for a brief time back in 2010, 2011. He had seven games when Pascal LeClaire and Brian Elliott were both injured and out of the lineup. He came in. I think they claimed him off waivers, and he did a fine job, the same way Mike Condon is doing. So maybe Ottawa just needs to get more backup goalies to fill in for their starters who are hurt. Although in this case, they're just really thin in goaltending and Condon is automatically their second stringer. Okay, moving on to Toronto. You asked me about, Con- well, Connor Brown. I added the Mesnikov over Connor Brown too. It was so hard, Elon, because last week I was so high on him and the Leafs were starting a bye week. So you had to pick your spot. You didn't want him just sitting in your lineup for a week without playing games I actually couldn't afford to do that, even though it might have helped me win this week's matchup at the end of the day. Uh, I ended up going with Nemesnikov for schedule reasons, and Connor Brown was picked up by my opponent and likely will tip one category at least into a tie and possibly a win for them. So that's a bummer. Yeah, Connor Brown's really good. If he's still a free agent for you, I would add him, I think, over Nemesnikov, who was our front runner right now. I guess you had Victor Arvidsson. Would you drop Victor Arvidsson for Connor Brown? If you promise that this is the last time you ask me that question, drop this player for that player on this episode, uh, I'm going to say yes. I would drop Victor Arvidsson for Connor Brown, and I would not drop Connor Brown for anybody ever, possibly. And I have no other empty roster spots or guys I can drop. And that's the <laughs> game we'll play for the rest of the show. Okay, fair enough, Brian. We'll just get the straight up player evaluations moving forward. And there's one other goalie roster thing. So with McElhenney waived, Columbus called up Anton Forsberg. And he played once versus Carolina on Tuesday. And he led in four goals in a 5-3 loss. So Brian, you're saying that it's rare for goalies to get blown up by Carolina. Here's another one. <laughs> Anton Forsberg was a victim of the Carolina juggernaut. So an 8.52 save percentage for Anton Forsberg so far on the year, I guess. And anyway, since Bobrovsky is actually sick right now, Yunus Corposalo was called up. And then he played against Tampa and won 3-1 to one on Friday, stopping 31 of 32 shots. They then gave Corposalo the start again yesterday, and it didn't go as well. He's led in four goals on 32 shots and a 4-3 loss to Florida. So who do you think will be sent down once Bobrovsky is better? Like last year, Yunus Corposalo was so amazing in Bobrovsky's absence, and he even got a lot of games as the backup when Bobrovsky was healthy again. But apparently in the minors this year, Anton Forsberg, like you talked about this in your interview recently about goalies, and you were saying how Forsberg actually has been outplaying Corposalo, but now Corposalo gets called up and right away gets two starts in a row. So I would think they should hold on to Corposalo, but I guess I don't really watch these minor league Columbus games. It seems like if you're going to go by the guy that they have trusted to start games for their minor league team, then I imagine they'll keep... I I don't know how they're going to make the decision. So my guess is Forsberg. My guess is that it doesn't really matter because they're going to continue riding Bobrovsky as hard as they can. Yeah, so you'd have to be in a pretty deep league to consider adding Corposalo or Forsberg. I guess if Bobrovsky stays sick for a little bit longer, maybe add Corposalo for now or wait till they announce the starter of the next game. Uh, Brian Patty's just reminding us in the chat room here that you called Carolina the place where scoring goes to die. So, of course, they had to score a whole ton of goals last week. But were these games on the road? What? (laughs) 
Oh, because they weren't in Carolina. Ah, you're very clever. Okay. Since we're in Columbus, let's talk quickly about how things haven't been the same. Like I said at the top of the show, since Washington broke their winning streak over the last couple of weeks, their leading scorers are Atkinson, Felino, and Seth Jones with only four points in seven games. Not much lately out of the huge scorers from earlier, like Wierenski, Wenberg, Gagne, Sad. They've all been quiet. Should people be concerned about these guys who've likely carried their team through most of the season? Like, I'd ask, like, how would you rank, like, Wenberg, Gagne, and Wierenski in terms of most to least concerned right now? Because I'm getting a bit concerned as the guy who invented hashtag Team Wierenski, or at least was a big proponent of it, he's obviously not the superstar that he has, but he's still in the top power play. For me, I'm least concerned about him. I'd be very concerned about Sam Gagne and Wenberg. I don't know, because he had such a great start, but all of a sudden he's going cold, which you kind of predicted. Well, Elon, there's something the three of them have in common, and that's that their bread and butter this season has been the power play, which has just been on fire all season long. We mentioned it in the first couple weeks, in the first couple months, and it's been true up until about the end of the streak. They They were scoring like one or two power play goals every other game at least. And over the last 21 opportunities now, they only have three power play goals. That's a 15% success rate. Actually, no, that's a 14% success rate, which is a good 10% less than their season-long 25% success rate, which is totally unsustainable. Actually, Cam, as previously mentioned in the show, Cam Robinson mentioned this over at Dauber Hockey. Very few teams have been able to finish the season above 25% efficiency on the power play. And that, I think, is what's happening with Columbus. They are failing to continue rolling. And that sounds really harsh on them to say that they're failing at it. But Zach Wierenski has two power play points in his last eight games. You need to go back 15 games to find his last point at even strength. That's a long time. So if he's not getting anything on the power play, he's also not been able to get anything at even strength. Same with Wenberg, who has also gotten so many of his points this year on the power play, almost half. Last time I checked, he has just two points in his last six games. Sam Gagne, also hugely reliant on the power play. He has no goals and two assists in his last eight games. So a lot of rough times for the Blue Jacks, who are just reaping the rewards of that super hot power play. Brandon Saad is the exception, actually. He was not. We were just wowed by his even strength production, but even he has slowed down one point in his last six games. I mean, look, the Blue Jackets, as exciting as they've been, They're not a team of 70 to 80 point players, even if they've looked like it for stretches. So this sort of thing is going to happen. The question now is, is the gravy train finished for good? Has it left the station or pulled into the station? Whatever analogy works best for you. It's hard to say at this point. It might be time for you to start considering life after that insane blue jacket point scoring, though. If you have been buoyed by that point scoring, if you added all those blue jackets at the start of the season, you're now about to get a taste of what your lineup looks like without it and what you might need to do to improve it to make up for any prolonged difficulties that these guys have scoring or if that intensely incredible power play doesn't come back as fiery as it has been all year long. So time to start thinking about that. Matthew in the chat here is asking, is Dubinsky still relevant in Columbus? Funny you ask. I just read, I guess, a quote from the coach recently. They've moved Dubinsky off of the second power play unit. So he's not even getting second unit power play time. So yeah, I'd say Dubinsky is not relevant 
currently, at least in fantasy. I guess he still gets hits. I'd have to check if he's been doing that lately. That's always what he's kind of been known for, and maybe Pims also. But in terms of points, I'm not expecting much from Dubinsky moving forward. He's had a pretty brutal year in that respect, even when he was getting the second unit power play time. All right, let's go through some other teams in the league here. Edmonton. We've had both extremes of hot and cold streaks on Edmonton. So the big shocker, it's going to depend on who's playing with and without McDavid for whether this player is going to get mentioned on the hot streak or the cold streak side. So the hot streak, guys, are the line of McDavid, Pat Maroon, and Leon Dreisaitl. Pat Maroon has 10 points in his last 10 games, and nine of them are goals. He's been having five and six shots a game even in that span. Like, Pat Maroon is completely on fire, scoring so, so many goals. I know we'll say the shooting percentage is unsustainable or whatever, but if you're taking five or six shots in a game, you're more likely to get one. So it's not so, so bad. And obviously, he's getting the puck past him by one of the best players in the whole world, Connor McDavid. So yeah, who's listening right now and kicking themselves for not having added him as soon as they heard that he'd be promoted to line one? Like, I feel like moving forward on Edmonton, like, let's say Pat Maroon gets dropped offline one. He ends up getting dropped in your league. If it's announced that he's going to be moving back with McDavid, don't wait for the points. Don't wait to see some signs of life before you add him back. Even if he's been, like, pointless in 10, you grab him ASAP. I wish I did. So good right now. I assume you have to add Pat Maroon while he's on that line over the likes of Domestikov and Nyquist or Mantha. And actually, I just remembered you told me you don't like me asking that question. So I'll just move forward and talk about the guys in Edmonton who are hurting. Jordan Eberly, man, Brian, everyone wants to know. They're waiting for you to tell them if they can drop this guy yet. Like lately, he's been playing on a line with fellow snoozers, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Benoit Pouliot, and he's not on the top power play. If you recall, Letestu took his spot there. Eberly has three assists in his last 15 games. Just bad, bad, bad. Is there a reason to hold on to him? There is a reason, and that's that he's better than this. He's shooting at even strength just under 4% when he is used to shooting at triple that success rate. So that would actually get him. He has three goals on 77 shots at even strength so far this year. He could have nine if he had just been shooting his career average shooting percentage. The guys around him also aren't scoring a whole lot while he's on the ice. And one of the reasons is because he's been away from McDavid for a little while, and it's not a great place to be. The depth isn't totally there, although I would be interested to know more about this Eberle, Nugent Hopkins, Pouliot line, and if they can get some chemistry going. I mean, that's three good players, three guys that I like each individually and have thought to be good pieces, good important pieces for an Edmonton team with depth. And uh, here they are doing not a whole lot. So I think you need to hold on to him. I won't give you permission to drop him. I will give you permission to shop him, but I doubt you're going to get fair value for somebody who when everything's going the way it should be, is still a 60-point player. I'm really sorry if you've held on all season, though. That's a really crummy thing. Like, is he the last holdout, Elon, of guys who should be doing better? But aren't we talking about all the defensemen who had taken off last week? And now Kopitar is going, Bergeron's going. Is Everly the only star that's slumping? I don't know about that. All I know is that, and I guess I said, no, I feel like I also agree with you that Kopitar would bounce back, and I agreed that Bergeron would bounce back. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not seeing it for Eberly. Like Edmonton, I was listening to this other podcast I really like by Dmitry Filipovich. It's called the Hockey PDO cast. I definitely recommend it. And they were talking about how like they were looking at the courses and the shot attempts when McDavid is on the ice versus when he's not. And like Edmonton's a horrible, horrible team whenever yeah. McDavid isn't playing. So this Eber- line that you're so interested in of Eberly and Pouliot and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they suck. <laughs> They're not good. Like I think Eberly is good if he plays with McDavid. I'm not very excited about him. Like maybe if you get dry with him. Like, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like Everly's the guy who needs someone good with him. Like, it's been a long, long time. 
Maybe uh, we could wait another couple of weeks. At some point soon, I'm going to have to ask you again if he's a snoozer. But I see what you're saying. By the way, another guy, I'll just bring up quickly, Milan Lucic, another guy who's not doing anything because he's not playing with McDavid. Lucic was playing yesterday with Slepeshev and Kagula. Like, he's on the top power play still, so that's something. But he only has one assist in his last seven games. I wonder if, if you're in a league that doesn't count hits you know is he even still worth owning Eberly, lucic both really bad right now obviously maroon is the hot guy it would be really hard for me i'm glad i don't have to make this decision if i had Eberly and maroon was available and i'm trying to like win my matchups it would be really hard not to make that swap but i get why you're saying obviously to hold on to the guys who have been doing it for so many years I added Patrick Maroon in our league where we're against each other. I'm pretty excited about it. Elon, you know where else you heard that the Oilers were so good with McDavid and so distinctly bad without him with such a huge difference? You heard that also on the Keeping Carlson podcast. We had this conversation sometime in the last two weeks, and part of the conversation was that of all the Oilers away from McDavid, Patrick Maroon might be the second best at driving play. So I feel like he's earned that spot up with McDavid, and it's nice to see them doing good things together. I wonder if it's a bit of a waste for them, but I don't know that the Oilers are going to decide the same thing for as long as it's clicking. Everlead is just the only guy who I feel I can count on to produce without McDavid when everything is terrible and McDavid isn't on the ice. And uh, yeah, he's letting me down there. So if anybody can do it, Eberly can. He hasn't yet. The percentages are terrible. I really don't fault him. I think with some variants going his way, it wouldn't look nearly as bad as it does. But granted, it looks really bad. I just don't think there's anything you can do about it if you own him. All right, fair enough. By the way, Bits 4 here in the chat room is telling me that uh, Lucic's line mate's name is Kajula and not Kaguila or whatever I said. So there you go. Whatever, not fantasy relevant. And I'll tell Javits that there's only one big rig. He mentioned big rig in the chat when you mentioned Patrick Maroon, I think. The only big rig is Chris Phillips. He opened a brewery with that name. So I don't know that you can call anybody else that. Next hot streak guy, gotta mention John Tavares. Two straight hat tricks. Or actually, no. It looked like he had two straight hat tricks. Apparently, they gave what we thought was his second goal yesterday to Anders Lee. So fine. Five goals in his last two games. Not too shabby, especially for a guy who was scoreless in three games before that. And someone who we were just really lamenting on the podcast for no longer being that 80-point guy. We said he was more like a 70-point guy. So there you go. John Tavares, you know, he's still really good. And I'm not going to change my opinion. I still think he's going to be more like a 70-point guy this year. But nice to know that he's able to do things again. Maybe we anti-jinxed him a little bit. But of course, you know, with Tavares going again, that brings some life back to Anders Lee, who was doing nothing for a while, but was so great before. So Anders Lee, once again, now is getting some points. Josh Bailey is always worthwhile while he's playing with Tavares. So don't forget these guys if they've been dropped. I won't ask you, Brian, how they stack up to the guys like Nemesnikov and Nyquist and, and Pat Maroon. Uh, unless you want to answer it. But I'll also mention on the Islanders, Nick Letty finally has woken up. He has two goals and three assists in his last two games, which is amazing. Brings him to 21 points in 40 games on the season. So he wasn't doing much before. But now, you know, if you've lost Latang to injury and you're in a somewhat shallow league and Nick Letty was dropped for being somewhat disappointing, I'd say he's worth grabbing. Like, Brian, we actually missed our chance to add him recently in our joint league. He was dropped and we didn't have a spot for him, basically. So we let him go. Jake Muzzin as well, actually, was dropped and we didn't pick him up. So I wonder if we've made a mistake. Like, we're holding on to Zach Wierenski over these guys. I wonder if at the end of the year we'll realize that we kind of missed out. We were holding out on Wierenski for too long over maybe more proven guys like Letty and Muzzin. Maybe. I know I added Luddy in the league where I'm against you, and I've held him most of the season now, and I'm pretty happy. I mean, when John Tavares starts scoring goals, things are going to go well for everyone around him. Nick Luddy is lucky to be one of the guys who consistently is. I wonder if John Tavares is trying to play his way 
out of Brooklyn or Long Island or whatever you want to call it, because, you know, he really needs to up his trade value and his appeal to other teams. I hope he gets out of there. I mean, I don't see how that will happen. Like, I guess we don't need to speculate, but why would the Islanders trade their star marquee player? Like, they'd be brutal. But anyways, I guess, obviously, they'd want a big return. Okay, let's go to the next hot streak guy, like you mentioned before, Anze Kopitar. Finally has woken up since we called him out on a recent podcast. Three assists yesterday versus Winnipeg, extending his point streak to four games. He has one goal and six assists in that span. So Kopitar's back. That's fantastic. This brings maybe Marion Gabrick back from the dead. He has two goals and two assists in his last four games. Six shots on goal yesterday versus Winnipeg. So that's half of his total point production in the 21 games he's played this season. He has eight points overall, four in the last four games. He's playing with Andre Kopitar, who now is looking to maybe be back to the Andre Kopitar that we were expecting him to be at this point in the season. So definitely take a look at him if he's in free agency. I believe LA plays like Monday and Wednesday and Thursday of next week. Like they play a lot of early games in the week, so you could grab him now and hold him for at least a couple of games before deciding if he's worth holding longer. Yeah, and it's clear that Marion Gabrick is not the straw that stirs the drink. He's the drink that is stirred by the Kopitar straw. Yeah, and the third guy on that line, Trevor Lewis, is even getting a couple of points lately. He has a goal and an assist in his last three games. So it's good to play with Kopitar when he's rolling. Hopefully he'll be able to keep it up. Do it for your fantasy owners, Kopitar. I think I yelled at you. I yelled at Kopitar, right? Saying like, come on, Anjay, do it for your owners. And, and he listened. So that's nice. Hopefully the other snoozer guys we're talking about, maybe like Jordan Eberly, will also listen. But great for Kopitar. I expected him to do it, like I said, over Eberly. Okay, now let's go to Carolina, who we've talked about, this juggernaut. A lot of Carolina guys are producing lately. They've been rolling lines of Rask, Derek Ryan, and Skinner, and then Aho, Stemniak, and Teravainen, and then Lindholm, McGinn, and Stahl. And they're all doing pretty well. Like over the past two weeks, McGinn has nine points and 15 shots on goal and seven games played. Jordan Stahl also nine points in seven games, 20 shots on goal. Skinner, eight points and 30 shots in those seven games. So all three of those guys, McGinn, Stahl, and Skinner, over a point per game in the last couple of weeks. Victor Rask, the aforementioned, you know, six points in his last seven. Derek Ryan, six points. Elias Lindholm just came back from an injury and he's got five points in three games. Nine shots on goal in that span. So Elias Lindholm, Looking really good. A lot of these guys that I'm mentioning might be available as free agents in your league. So I think it's worth taking a look. Like this line of Elias Lindholm, McGinn, and Stahl, all three of them are doing fantastically. I know, Brian, you're not a big Jordan Stahl fan, and I totally agree. And last year we saw short spurts from him, but he wasn't able to keep it up. But I like Elias Lindholm. Like we always see him go on little short runs. It never amounts to much in his total numbers. But I think if you're going to grab someone right now that's available, like if, you know, Victor Rask and Skinner aren't available to you, I think right now the guy I'd want is Elias Lindholm. All these names look really good with the Hurricanes having scored 21 goals in their last four games. But here's the thing. It took them the previous 10 games before that to score as many goals. They don't score 21 goals every four games, so you can't count on consistent production and all of this to follow through from Carolina. And I should clarify my joke from earlier. These were home games, so Carolina uh, scoring did not die when it went there in these circumstances, but it often does. It often has for the last few years. I'll be very interested to see if this can continue at any rate, because if you look down their schedule and results from earlier this year, a lot of ones and twos and sometimes threes and not a lot of fours, fives or sevens and one eight somehow against Vancouver. I guess that's how. But yeah, so if you're getting super excited about any of these guys who are free agents in your league, just keep in mind that Carolina cannot keep scoring as many goals as they have been scoring. And that is something that is going to affect these guys point totals going forward. 
Yeah, definitely. But we've got some exciting guys in free agency this week, or at least in our free agencies. Hopefully, if you're listening, you're hearing at least some names of guys who you might be able to add if you have an injury or someone that's snoozing and you need to drop. Add Elias Lindholm to the list, at least for now. But I agree with you, Brian. He won't keep it up. But definitely, he's come out hot since coming back from his injury. And okay, let's go to Boston. Again, you already mentioned Bergeron, so it's too late to do anything about it. But both Tori Krug and Patrice Bergeron are definitely over whatever cold streaks they had earlier in the year. Bergeron has eight points in his last nine games. Tori Krug... You won't believe this, maybe. Like, three goals and 11 assists for 14 points in his last 12 games. 14 points in 12 games for Tori Krug. That brings him to be tied for fifth in league scoring for defensemen. Just behind Burns, Hedman, Carlson, and Duncan Keith. He's tied with Shattenkirk and Weber. So, like, out of nowhere, and he had that cold start. We talked about him on the episode with Chris Wassel, and he was talking about some of his fantasy studs and duds, or I guess we framed it as guys who the projectors got wrong and he had Tory Krug there as someone who was really disappointing he had a whole bunch of shots but no goals he's bounced back like I said fifth in league scoring for defensemen it's fantastic Brian does Tory Krug need to be taken seriously at this point as an elite defenseman in fantasy or you know is this just very unsustainable short-term production like we liked him before but I don't think we ever talked about him as a guy that you might pick in the top five seven defensemen all of a sudden now he's like completely on fire if someone offered you Tory Krug for Chris Letang right now I wonder if you would take it. Like, I wonder if I would take it in the... Oh, wait, I have Tory Krug. Oh, good. So I guess I'm not going to offer myself that trade. But I feel like that's a trade I would make, even if Latang has more upside. Tory Krug right now is on fire on a good team and takes a bunch of shots. I love him. Yeah, he's a great offensive defenseman. He is elite in terms of throwing pucks on net. Now, they don't all make it to the net, but he puts a ton of shot attempts towards the other team's net. He's third in the league so far just this year in individual Corsi per 60 minutes. And if you go over the last few years, you'll see his name at the top the whole way through. He already has 130 shots. If you're someone who's excited about Justin Falk and you've never given Tory Krug much thought, I think Tory Krug is a better bet at this point because he shoots as much or more and he's on a team that usually scores more goals, just ignoring all of this big Carolina goal scoring that's happening recently. Tory Krug is a guy who's on a better team a better top power play unit and is in a great position to put up 45 point seasons. And I think even more if things go really well for him. Yeah, if they keep going like they are now. Another benefit of Krug over Justin Falk is that Krug is less likely to get injured because Justin Falk also kind of like Latang. Latang Light gets injured too often for my liking. All right, let's do some goalie talk, Brian, right here at the end of the show. Really quickly, Braden Holtby, five straight wins now, three shutouts in that span, has propelled himself, I think, into the Vesna discussion once again. He has a 9.33 save percentage on the year, 21 wins in 34 games. So Braden Holtby, like, elite. Tough question, maybe. Would you prefer Holtby or Price moving forward, let's say, in the cupful with, like, just wins and save percentage? That is a really tough one. I mean, I'm not considering Carey Price as somebody who's any worse than we thought he was at the start of the year. I'm thinking both of these guys at the top of their games. And I think Washington wins more the rest of the year and that Holtby can still put up numbers that are comparable to Price's. Maybe not quite as good, even though they are better this year. So I'm going to go with Braden Holtby, who, by the way, I was mentioning quality start percentage earlier in the show. His is all the way up at 68%. Somehow, that's only good enough for third amongst regular starters because of the crazy seasons we've been seeing from Devin Dubnik and Sergei Bobrovsky, who have rewarded their owners with quality starts 85 and 74% of the time, respectively. 
That's crazy. That's insane. So basically, Devin Dubnik, you just plug him in. Doesn't matter who they're playing. 85% of the time, it's going to be a good game. That's fantastic. But Brandon Hopi, he's climbing, right? He's doing even better lately than he was at the start of the year. So who knows where things will end up. He's a fantastic goalie. He won the Vesna for a reason last year. Another amazing goalie, Tuka Rask, had an injury scare on Thursday, but turned out he was fine. He took a puck under his mask, and it looked like maybe he hit his neck, so we didn't know if it was going to be like a collarbone injury or maybe a concussion. But looks like he's fine. Came back to play and win on Saturday versus Philly. Not the best game, but hey, I'm sure they'll take it. Anyone could win against Philly. It doesn't even matter if you let in a few goals, because Philly's going to let in a whole bunch. I think, Brian, if we redid our goalie tiers right now, we'd have a lot more people in Tier 1. I think we had Carey Price alone in Tier 1, or maybe Price and Holtby there. At this point, I feel like we'd have to consider putting Tuka Rask and then maybe Bob and Dubnik. Like, it'll be really fun. I think at some point, Brian, we really need to do these goalie tiers like midway through the season. I know some people have been asking about it. So let's put that on our agenda to do at some point. On the other side, Jake Allen has been so, so bad. Three straight sub 900 save percentage games. He has a 900 save percentage on the season. So just he's been bad all year, extra bad lately. Meanwhile, Carter Hutton actually shut out San Jose yesterday and made 23 saves. He's actually playing again today. So getting two straight games on a back-to-back that doesn't happen often for a goalie that's a backup. Currently, okay, it's uh, only in the first period, still 0-0 between St. Louis and Anaheim. But if Hutton has another good game, all of a sudden we might see a goalie controversy brewing just because of how bad Jake Allen has been. Like overall, Carter Hutton hasn't been having a great season, only a 901 save percentage on the year. But I feel like St. Louis needs to go with a hot hand right now. So I wonder if it's time to look at Carter Hutton if he's available in free agency. And also, I guess I'd just be curious to know if you think Jake Allen has it in him to bounce back. I think you've said before, you don't think he's a very good goalie. The only reason why he has so much value in fantasy is because he's on such a good team that seems to be able to protect him. But lately, they haven't been able to do that. Well, I don't think he's a very good goalie, but I also don't think he's a very bad goalie. I don't think he's a 900 goalie. And Carter Hutton is a 901 now. And that is thanks to that 23 save shutout that helped him get there. In fact, two of his last three appearances have gone very well. And it is telling that he is now starting the second half of a back-to-back when normally you'd expect Jake Allen to get that. And Carter Hutton has not earned that with his body of work over the whole season. So I'm wondering if maybe there's the beginning of a goalie controversy brewing in St. Louis and Jake Allen probably can't believe it, but he's done this to himself in a way. He has been pulled for three of his last five starts, which is, of course, not a good thing and loses a lot of faith of your teammates and your coaching staff. We talked about in our bonus episode with Ian Fleming about how his low danger save percentage is really struggling, and I feel like that's how St. Louis is playing in front of him, like he can't see enough shots, and that's why these shots that should normally be stopped are getting past him, but I imagine it's still very deflating for the team. Carter Hutton, not much better this season, but maybe they're at the point where they're just ready to go for the hot hand. He is worth watching. If he has a good performance tonight against Anaheim, I imagine he gets the next start too. Yeah, so keep your eye on him in free agency. You know, that makes it tough for maybe like Steve Mason owners. At some point, do you consider dropping Steve Mason for Carter Hutton? I'll answer the question myself. It's like, if you need help now and Carter Hutton's taking the short-term starter's job, then maybe make that swap. But keep in mind that by the end of the year, probably Carter Hutton is not going to be a value to you and is not going to stay on your team. So be sure to have a replacement in place in case Mason gets added in the meantime. One more struggling goalie, Connor Hellebuck doing so bad lately two straight games getting pulled letting three goals on six shots versus arizona on friday and the three goals on seven shots on wednesday versus montreal so two really bad games he has a 907 save percentage on the season luckily for him i guess his backup has an 896 save percentage that's hutchinson so not much competition for hellebuck 
But at the same time, maybe the Jets blew it by sending Pavlik down at the start of the year. Like, clearly these two guys are not able to cut it. Maybe it would have been better for Connor Hellebuck to have more competition. And we know Pavlik isn't great, but I think he's better than what Michael Hutchinson has been doing. I wonder if there's any chance that Pavlik gets called up at some point. Maybe, like, Hutchinson could get waived. I'm sure no one would claim him. That would definitely be interesting to me because Hellebuck, like I said, really struggling. It must be hard to be a Hellebuck owner. I wonder who you'd even want to have right now between Hellebuck and Jake Allen if you could only have one. I'd lean Jake Allen because I expect him to end up being the number one goalie again. And I'd expect St. Louis to win more games than Winnipeg. But it has been ugly. I feel like I'm saying this too much this episode that it seems to be a team issue in Philly, in Tampa, maybe another team I said it for, and in Winnipeg too. It just seems like goalies can't succeed this year and it's happening in pairs it's happening in Colorado too I feel like a lot of these goalies that we're seeing struggle this year aren't as bad as they're being made to look and that there's some other systemic changes or I don't know what else could have possibly happened to all these tandems to make everything go so sideways it's been a really rough year for anyone who saw Hellebuck as a blue chip goalie prospect which is essentially everyone and then thought that they were in for the first of many great years with him. So my advice for him would be, if you're in a keeper league, he still remains a really high-end goalie prospect. If you can convince Hellebuck's owner to part with him for something pretty cheap, like something that's only going to affect you for the rest of this season, this may be a good time to make that play. Yeah, that's fair. He had that great run last year and apparently has a huge pedigree. So I'm sure Hellebuck will be fine in a long, long run. But for this year, I don't know. I... I'm calling it. I think something's going to happen with Andre Pavlik. Maybe we haven't seen the end of him. Michael Hutchinson, so, so bad as well, like I said. Okay, let's end the show, Brian, with one snoozer. A guy I'm going to say is a complete snoozer for me. If you have him on your lineup, it's time to drop him. And I want to give a shout out to Reddit slash R slash Fantasy Hockey. We don't call them out enough, I don't think, because it's a great place to go for fantasy hockey advice and you can ask questions. And that's one of the places where we first started promoting the podcast. And I want to thank the people on Reddit slash r slash fantasy hockey for helping get us to where we are anyways boof radley asked us when we posted our show notes from the last episode is camillary a total snoozer i'm about to drop him never thought it would come to this and my answer to you boof is yes he is a total snoozer in my opinion he has only one goal and four assists in his last 20 games played you can't get more snoozery than that and New Jersey is not a great team. And, you know, he had that amazing run at one point. But if you remember, he was also really slow at the beginning of the year. So it's not as if, you know, Camilleri has been great all year until these 20 games. You know, another game, New Jersey just played today. And what, they lost? Oh, no, they won. Good for them. Two to one. Nothing for Mike Camilleri once again. So you could change that to 21 games. He's playing on a line with Palmieri and Zajac, not on the top power play. I say snoozer. A lot of New Jersey Devils are bordering on snoozer territory over the last eight games. They've only scored more than two goals three times, and they've only scored more than three goals once. So lots of zeros, ones, and twos for the team scoring. And it's like, who's going to get that goal? You don't even know. Taylor Hall is your best bet. And then all bets seem to be off. Like Adam Henrique, I've spot-started him so many times this season. Tonight, as I've been saying in the chat, is the last time I will ever do that. I've had it with expecting anything from him. Camilleri did have that great run when Taylor Hall got injured and has not been able to keep it up. Even when Taylor Hall missed more time later, Camilleri did not step up again. So yeah, I think he's snoozing. I think it's a real shame because it was exciting when we saw that he still had some gas left in the tank. Unfortunately, at the moment, I don't know if it's him or the whole team, but there's just not a lot of scoring happening there. And in that case, it's not really worth holding on to him, assuming some of the guys we've talked about earlier in this episode, like Connor Brown or Namasnikov, 
happened to be available. Far cry from Cam Larry's 38 points in 42 games last season. He was near point per game last year. This year, just brutal aside from, like you said, that short stretch. Maybe that was his last amazing stretch in his career. I don't want to say that. Maybe they could trade him. I wonder if they could be sellers at the deadline and Cam Larry might be someone to look at there. But that's total speculation. Let's not get into that. In fact, Brian, let's end the show. This has been fantastic and long and fun. And I'm sure you're very excited to move on with your day. So I want to thank everyone for joining us live in the chat room, especially for those of you who stuck with us the whole way through. It's been a lot of fun. Everyone who downloaded the show and listened, we really appreciate you sticking with us as we're getting into the second half of the season. I feel like a lot of people drop off in terms of listenership as you know they decide to give up on their fantasy teams because they're not doing well. So if you're listening, that means that you're a real hardcore fully, or maybe you just enjoy the show, which would be great too. If you do enjoy the show, do us a favor. Brian's like waving his hands at me saying like, this is horrible. I want to What was the purpose of all that? I'm thanking our loyal listeners that are sticking with us through the whole season. Yeah, well, our loyal listeners are probably also winning their pool. So of course they're going to stay involved all season long. I know. That's why I'm saying the poop listeners that have left <laughs> are the bad ones. <laughs> okay. Can I continue? I want to end this show. Okay. No. If you want to help out the show, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. That's always very much appreciated. Or check out our patron program. You can become a patron of Keeping Carlson, get in our patron-only Facebook group, have access to our monthly patron cast, and other perks that, who knows, there was actually this week, one of our patrons, his friend couldn't go to a game with him, and he ended up saying, who in the group wants to go to see the Rangers against the Leafs at Madison Square Garden? And then he found someone. Like, someone got free tickets to the game. All she had to do was buy him a beer, and she got free tickets to a game. So who knows what you can get being a part of our amazing patron community. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Put down five bucks a month, bribe Brian or I a beer each month, and you get all these amazing perks, and you support the show that you apparently like, since you're apparently winning your pool, according to Brian's evaluation of our demographics of listeners. With that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our incredible, amazing, brilliant, witty, funny patrons. I ran out of adjectives. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, HockeyViz.com, that's with a Z, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian, and we'll do this all again next week, Sunday, 8 p.m. EST, keepingcarlson.com slash live if you want to join us in the chat room. Until then, keep on keeping Carl's son. <laughs>